here on another Wednesday evening. Welcome to those listening in. Let's um, let's open up in prayer and we'll jump right in. We got we got lots to cover tonight, so let's open in prayer. Father, we we invite you to uh, to lead and guide us this evening. Father, I pray for your help. Pray that we would touch on those things and spend time on those things that would uh, be fruitful, that would be um, from your heart, and that we would move through those things that would cause us to to live and to act differently. Father, I pray that um, we would not be the same after looking in the mirror of your word than we were before we looked in it, but that it would have its full effect. Help us to, de- to desire what you desire, to hunger for what you hunger for us. And uh, we, we lift this evening before you and cover it and I'll pray for it. Father, I also pray right now for there's several of us who have loved ones who are struggling with uh, um, healing issues, recovering issues. I pray for my sister, for my mom, for my wife, um, and I know others as well. Lord, just pray that you would touch each one in uh, the the things that we're facing and battling, that um, you would be glorified in them. Lord, may everything that we're about here bring glory to your name. May we hunger and thirst to glorify you. We learn these things, not that we would be puffed up, but that we would be built up, edified, and live in love. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right. So, um, let me get my clicker here. Oh, turning phone off. Um, so we are, we're, we're coming down to the final couple of chapters here. I'll bring it up now. We'll talk about it at the end as well. Um, we've been talking about what are we going to study next? What are we going to look at next? I know last week there was kind of a, a, a pretty strong consensus. People wanted to, to study one of the books of the Bible. Daniel was kind of, kind of floating to the top. Um, you liking that? <laughs> We already got, we got people lobbying for Daniel already. <laughs> Thought this was settled doctrine, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, um, it, it's uh, I'm, my, actually when we talked about it last week, I was talking to Diane about it. She had reminded me we several years ago we had gone through it, so I, um, we've got a good basis to pull out and start again. So, but just let's. I'm going to float that when we get to the end or rehab that conversation. Remind me, and we'll talk about it again. Just to make sure we're all on the same page. And, and what other things? So I've got some other things that are kind of on my heart. I just at least want to talk about and see, um, uh, see if there's an interest. All right. That said, uh, we're going through this book. We're getting near the end. Spiritual, the Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts. And uh, as I said before, we try to make each week stand on its own because, you know, we have people are here for different lessons. But ultimately, what we're talking about, what we've been focusing on is a specific set of spiritual gifts. There's, there's spiritual gifts that are mentioned in multiple different places in the scriptures. There's different lists. And so for, uh, for let's see, uh, what's the number? Like 42 points. I don't know if I use that one. But 43 points. There's a different one. 43 points. Who can tell me? What's one of the three main places we find lists of gifts in the apostolic writings? All I need is a book and a chapter. You don't have to give me, like, specific verses. 
1 Corinthians 12, 43 points right there. 1 Corinthians 12. In fact, the ones we've been studying in this book, it's that, that list of gifts. And because these are more the more revelatory gifts. Um, and so they tend to be more controversial and, and have a wide, wider uh, array of opinions. That's what we've been focusing on. But there's, there's a couple of other sets as well. You find them throughout. That much is written in the apostolic writings that either list them or talk about them or most definitely demonstrating. But there's two other places that really give us some lists. What are those other two places? Romans 12. Very good. 43 points over here. All right, so who can dig out that last one? There's one more. It's neither Ephesians 4. That's right. So for extra points, extra points, Ephesians 4 is a little different because it lists five specific gifts. Anybody happen to know what uh, what those five gifts are? Hmm. Once I say them, everybody go, yeah, I knew that. Oh, very good. Oh, extra credit right there. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Yeah, that's the one. It's Ephesians 4.11 is the verse specifically. But um, Now, okay, so here's, a, here's a, a fun fact about these lists. Now, we know that all of these are bestowed by God. God is the one who gives these gifts. But what's interesting is there is a each one focuses on a particular person in the Godhead in giving these gifts. And there is one person in 1 Corinthians that is the focus of giving the gifts, 1 Corinthians 12. There's one person in Romans 12 who is the focus as the giver of the gift. And there is a different, the third person who is the, the focus of the giver of gifts in Ephesians 4. So who can match up one of those to the person of the Godhead? I mean, 1 Corinthians 12 is probably the easiest one we've been, because we've been talking about it so much. So this is worth uh, 17 points apiece. Who is, which person of the Godhead is the focus of the giver of the gift in 1 Corinthians 12? The Spirit, the Spirit gives as He wills, over and over, 1 Corinthians 12. The Spirit gives as He wills. Okay, so who knows who is the focus of the, as the giver of the gifts in Ephesians 4, uh, uh, 11, a pastor, prophet, a pastor, apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher, whatever order it is. Who knows who the focus is there? You've got 50-50 chance, so. That's right. It's Jesus, <laughs> Yeshua, Jesus. So that leaves the Father for Romans 12. All right, very good. That was some fun facts. All right, so we're going through um, this uh, uh, beginner's guide to spiritual gifts. We're in. We're in lesson. This is lesson nine. We're starting lesson nine, which corresponds to chapter nine. All of the quotes um, that I'll be quoting are directly from the book, out of chapter nine. Um, I'll either be quoting directly from it or paraphrasing it. There is a little bit of information tonight I'm bringing in from, uh, there's some scriptures and things. I'm bringing in some examples I'm bringing in from my own studies that I'm kind of laying, overlaying over top of it. Um, the scriptures that I'm quoting, all the scriptures we're going through, I use the ESV. It's the ESV version. Um, it's just uh, it's a version I like, and so that's what I'm using. Um, and if, if I don't use the ESV, I'll usually say it in there. But again, I'm just like to give all credit up front so everybody knows what the sources are as we go through it. How y'all doing? Amen to that. All right, so chapter 9 is what? This is tongues and interpretation in the church. Tongues and interpretation in the church. Now, we've been spending the last several weeks going through this, and I debated whether or not to, to go into this chapter because we spent so much time on it. But 
I'm going to do, I'm going to go through it anyway. I, first of all, I don't really like to skip stuff. That's just kind of my personality. But that said, there is some really important things come out of this. There's, there's issues that I know different ones of us have heard, have faced. And I think it's really good for us to look at what are the arguments um, on the different sides. And, and, and again, our whole goal is not what are the arguments, which doctrine we want to support, but what does the scripture teach? How can we find the answer in Scripture? And, and I really like that, that the way that some of this is dug out of the Scriptures. So, um, and, it, and there's a fantastic testimony in the middle of it. And I didn't want to miss that testimony. So I thought I, I love bringing the stories and the testimonies in. So, um, so that, for that reason, I'm going to go through this. I'm going to make an attempt to get through it tonight. It may take me two weeks to get through it. i got a bunch of slides. Um, but uh, if, if I end up not getting through it, um, we'll end up probably doing, like, finishing it up and starting Chapter 10 uh, uh, next week. All right. That said, let's jump in. I'm not going to do normally, um, I'll do a, a review, um, you know, of everything that we've talked about. I'm not going to do the review this time. This pretty much stands on its own. We'll go through. But listen, if you have a question, um, and even if it's about something we've already studied about this, bring it up. Okay? So... Um, especially talking about tongues and interpretation of tongues. These are the most controversial of all the gifts that are in the scriptures. Um, and I, I like a lot of what we've been studying here. I think there's been a lot of good interaction with it, a lot of good understanding. So if there is a question, even if we've covered it already, go ahead and bring it up and let's talk about it. All right. So this is one of the issues that has come up quite a bit. I've heard this. Um, well, you know, tongues is just human languages, right? That's what it really is. And so this thing about, you know, people getting a gift that's not human languages. So the, the, that's the first question we're going to deal with. The, are tongues human languages? Is that what they primarily are? And so the key question, um, this is a, literally a key question for cessationists. Now, we have two terms, cessationism, continuationism. All right. For uh, 30 Three points. What is the difference between a cessationist and a continuationist? Do it. Yeah, exactly. One stops and one continues. All right. What does a cessationist say? Cessationist say has stopped. Not sensationist, but cessationist. What does a cessationist say has stopped? What does a continuationist say has not stopped but has continued? Got to answer the whole. Do what? Tongues, but not just tongues. The manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit. The manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit. These sets of gifts that we've particularly been studying in 1 Corinthians 12. So, yes, this question right here, and this is one of the reasons I decided to do this, is because it really is fundamentally a doctrinal question. So, there's a study out there, and the study seems to indicate that, they, they, I don't know much about the study, but they went around and study, apparently studied people who uh, have the gift of tongues, speaking the gift of tongues, and they found that rarely does anyone ever speak in a known human dialect. I mean, it just doesn't happen hardly at all um, in, in this particular study. And so it is, this study has been used by, sensation, by cessationists to make a claim. What do they claim? Number one, all tongues in the New Testament were identified as human language. That's their first claim. All tongues in the New Testament are identified as human language. Number two, no tongues today are human language. Number three, therefore, tongues are no longer a gift bestowed upon the church by the Holy Spirit. So this is the argument. This, I'm in, and I'm bringing it up because this is the argument. And, and, and like I said, we don't shy away from anything. We are willing to look at all questions and explode them and see how um, 
uh, how do they look? All right, so here's the fact. Fact is, there are actually many examples of tongues today in using known human languages. You will continually hear this among missions, people doing missions work. It's all over the place. I've shared a testimony here. A young man who literally came to Christ because he was hearing a young lady speak a tongue that he knew and she didn't know. Nobody else in the room knew. And uh, clearly, uh, so this does happen. And I, and I've, I know of others the same thing. So that, that whole premise um, that, um, that it doesn't happen today is just not correct. Okay, that's just not correct. There's plenty of testimonies of that. However, I think there's a bigger problem, a bigger problem with the argument. The fact, the, 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 the statement that New Testament, the New Testament identifies all tongues as human languages, I think that's errant. And I think that's what we need to study. That major premise of the argument, I believe, is an errant premise. And so let's actually look in the scriptures and see what do the scriptures show us and teach, and how can we examine the scriptures to see? Is it just referring to human languages, or do the scriptures make it evident otherwise? Because if, if we see in the scriptures that it's not simply human languages, then the whole argument breaks down. All right, so, fact. Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, is literally the only text in the New Testament that demonstrates tongues as largely known human languages. It's literally the only. In fact, the interesting thing is it's just the opposite. It's the only text that focuses on it being human languages. Now, it's possible that human languages are included in the other texts, but the other texts don't mention it. There's only one text in the entire New Testament that specifically makes it about human languages. Isn't that interesting? I think that's really interesting because the argument is, oh, well, the only way we see it in the, in the Bible is when it's human languages. And then when you actually study the scriptures, you only find one place that makes it explicit. You mean, you, you, so what you're saying is it could be that there were people who were speaking tongues and all of a sudden everybody had the gift of interpretation. <laughs> but, um, but that would not be the case, and I'll tell you why it's not the case. Because we're going to look at interpretation of tongues later. Um, uh, and um, interpretation is as much a supernatural gift. In other words, it, the interpretation of I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me just say it this way. The interpretation of tongues, the gift of interpretation of tongues, is not the ability to know the language naturally. Knowing the language naturally is not a spiritual gift. It may be, gift. you may be gifted in languages, but that's not the same thing as the Holy Spirit enabling you to understand that. Okay, now I know what you were saying. It could be that they they might not have actually been hearing their language. That person may not. But I, I think I think they were actually speaking real human languages, and that's what they were hearing. And there's evidence of it. And in fact, that does happen today, as evidence when we talked about the young man who this woman's standing next to him. You know, what does your rabbi think about you being here? And she's speaking Hebrew, and she has no idea. But but he knows this. He didn't have the gift of interpretation. She was manifesting the gift of tongues. Um, so. But here's the question. Why are tongues in Acts 10 and Acts 19 given only in the presence of believers? So if, if this is about tongues and, and there's unbelievers around and all of a sudden they're seeing these miracles, how come when we see tongues come in Acts 10 and Acts 19, they're, the only people you see are believers? There's no, there's no foreigners there to, uh, to have witness to the tongues. Check them out. Let's look at it. Here it is in 10. 
while Peter was still saying these things, this is when Peter goes to Cornelius' house, right? This is after he has the vision, and he's wondering, what does this vision mean? He learns, oh, this vision means that, that, that I'm not supposed to call Gentiles unclean. And, and so he's sharing the gospel with them, and while he's talking, the Holy Spirit falls on him. This is while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. How did he know the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out? For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Now that's an important connection, and we'll see why that's an important connection later. Speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Notice there's no mention of human languages. There's no mention of foreigners there. Um, all that we're seeing is this supernatural manifestation of tongues that are happening here. That's that's it's giving us. So to say that the only time we ever see tongues in the New Testament is human languages, you can't take that. You cannot make that statement about this. About this, it's possible, but you cannot make that an emphatic statement in that text. All right, let's look over in 19, and this is it starts in verse one. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? This is a whole interesting another study because they're clearly believers. They're disciples. They're believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. So this is a small group. This is not a bunch of foreigners there. It's not about them speaking no languages. It was about demonstrating this manifestation of tongues coming out so once again this fact that i mean this this claim that every text in the new testament is about foreign languages is not holding up when we're sitting standing here you can't make that and say that that's what that says it doesn't say that it could be but it doesn't say that and so all right so here's the fact now this is interesting uh there are various kinds or species of tongues. When we look at first, we're going to look at the verse in a minute. When we look in the verse in 1 Corinthians 12, what it says, it's the gift of various kinds of tongues. That kinds of tongues doesn't mean various languages. It means types of languages, kinds, species of languages. It's, um, it's more like different categories of languages. Uh, here it is, right here. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. This is what one of the things that, yeah, how many people caught that before? Yeah, many people thought, oh, he's just talking about multiple languages. That um, uh, Dr. Storms was pointing this out, that that word kinds um, uh, is the same word where we get, um, uh, same root word where we get glossary. You know, when you, when you open up and look at a glossary, it's, it's various categories. Um, so, fact. Paul describes tongues as speaking to God, not men. 
Paul describes it explicitly as speaking to God, not men. How is this necessary to be a human language? Human language would be just the opposite, speaking to men rather than God. So let's take a look at the verse. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So that takes us to another fact. No one understands. Just the opposite of a known human language. If it was a known human language, he wouldn't be saying, no one understands. Interesting. So once again, this every single instance is only human languages. Is when we're digging a little bit deeper and actually looking at the text, it doesn't hold up to what the text is actually telling us. For one, Again, we just read this. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Fact. There's no need for a spiritual gift of interpretation if it is always a human language. We simply need people educated in languages. We don't need a spiritual gift of interpretation. We just need people who speak those languages. The, the gift of interpretation from the Spirit means it's not of human origin. That's the whole point of it being a gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, fact, Paul does not refer... I mean, Paul does refer to the tongues of men and of angels. This is in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, some people have pointed out that could be hyperbole. Yes, it could be. But when you put it in context with everything else he's saying, it tells you whether or not he would be speaking hyperbole or whether or not he would be speaking uh, um, uh, uh, literally. And I think in its context of everything else we're seeing, He's meaning it more literally. Gordon Fee puts it this way. He's another a scholar. He cited evidence in certain ancient Jewish sources that the angels were believed to have their own heavenly languages or dialects and that by means of the Spirit, one could speak them. What he's saying is this. <clears throat> is Paul is not teaching something that wasn't part of Jewish theology in his day. This comes out of Second Temple Jewish theology. That, this was already understood in Second Temple Jewish theology that angels had their uh, uh, a dialect or a language. In particular, we take note of the Testament of Job. Testament of Job is again it's a it's a um, pseudepigraphal document from Second Temple period. Second Temple, if I refer to that, it, it refers to the time, kind of between um, uh, about the end of. Um, of uh, uh, time Malachi was written and before the New Testament was written, that Second Temple period, the intertestamental period. That's what I'm trying to remember. When people hear it called. Scholars refer to that as Second Temple period. And there's a rich, rich, rich theological literature that a lot of the New Testament has as its background that comes out of that. And this is the, uh, what Fee is pointing out is here is an example of, of as a, a, a potential example of some of the richness of this theology where job's three daughters put on heavenly sausage given to them as an inheritance from their father by which they are transformed and enabled to praise god with hymns in angelic languages some have questioned this account some say however pointing out that this little section in the testament of job may have been the work of a later christian author yet forbes points out what the testament does provide is clear evidence that the concept of angelic languages as a mode of praise to God was an acceptable one within certain circles. As such, it is our nearest parallel to uh, 
Glossolalia. My kids would get on me for not, you know. Glossolalia. That's that term I was talking about earlier, kinds of language. But what's, what's, this is what the scholars are saying. What they're saying is, you know, we're looking here saying, well, Paul was just using his hyperbole. It's like, no, we're finding literature at the time that are referring to angelic languages. They had this as a theological understanding. And so for us to say, no, that doesn't exist, and, and if we actually look at the scriptures in the context that what it was written, it's written in a context which accepts these things. All right, here's my question. Does the following verse prove tongues to be foreign languages? Here's my question. This following verse, does this prove that tongues are a foreign language? Because this verse is used to say, well, see, this is what Paul says, so he proves it. Oops. Thank you. Not there, not there. There we go. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So that's, where did it go? And the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So this, is, this passage is used to say, well, see, Paul is saying, look, there's many languages, and if I don't know it, I'm a foreigner, so therefore it's human languages. Well, the response is this passage is an analogy to understand the need for the gift of interpretation. What he's saying here is, look, there's a lot of languages in the world. And if I just start speaking one of them that people don't understand without an interpreter, then nobody will understand what I'm needing. So therefore, you need interpretation. He's given an analogy. He's given an analogy. Why is that important? If tongues meant human languages, Paul would not use human languages as an analogy to discuss human languages. He's using human languages as an analogy to need an interpreter for a spiritual language. Everybody follow that? It's a little bit complicated, but I want to make sure everybody follows it. He's saying, look, when you, if you manifest speaking in tongues in public and someone doesn't manifest an interpretation of it, nobody understands it. He's saying, what, what is that like? That's like if somebody were to come in here from a foreign country and start speaking a foreign human language and nobody from that country was there to interpret it, nobody would know what it is. That's what it's like. It's an analogy. He wouldn't say, God gives a gift of a human language, which is like somebody coming in here with a human language, and you would need it. That wouldn't make sense to use that as an analogy. So the verse that's used to prove it actually proves he's talking about something else. Everybody follow that? It's a little bit more complicated argument, but it's still, it's still out there, so I wanted to touch on it. Fact, Paul spoke in tongues in private where no foreigners could hear the language. The fact that it was private defeats the whole point if tongues were always to be human languages. How would he know? He didn't know what it was. How would he know? I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. All right. Fact. This next verse would likely not make sense if tongues were a human languages. Unbelievers would more likely think that the tongue speaker was highly educated rather than crazy. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? Okay, look, if somebody stood up and they were starting speaking in foreign languages and you knew that those were actually foreign languages, you wouldn't go, that person's crazy. you go, that person's a polyglot. Well, what would make him look crazy? Well, who knows what in the world he's saying? That seems weird. Hmm. You see, we don't stop and think about these things this way. 
Look at all of the arguments that we're bringing up here to demonstrate things that we've not really stopped and looked at. All right, so is tongues primarily human languages? I would say no, it's rarely human languages. I would not rule out human languages. Clearly, God uses the gift of tongues with human languages in multiple times. We're going to see a really cool story in a few minutes. Um, uh, um, not, not to tie it with human languages. We're just going to see a cool story. Um, and, but, so, but, but then what is the purpose of it? If it's not primarily about human languages, why? Why the gift? What's the purpose of it? Okay? So we're going to look at several purposes. Number one, the primary purpose is a form of prayer. It's a form of prayer. That is the primary purpose. Look at the scripture. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. What do we call it when you're speaking to God? Prayer. It's a, there you go. Twelve points. Very good. <laughs> For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. The primary purpose is a form of prayer. How would you like to be able to just start into prayer? I mean, just immediately not having to try to figure out what to pray. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Purpose. It's also a means of spiritual warfare. Well, where do we see that? If you go over to Ephesians chapter 6, and he starts saying, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And then he goes all these spiritual warfare and take off the full armor. It's right in the middle of all that. He says, praying at all times in the spirit. With all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Paul said what? I pray with my mind. I pray with my spirit. I do both. And Paul's putting it right here as a means of spiritual warfare. Isn't that interesting? Example of God using tongues in, in the prayer in the ministry of Jackie Pullinger. So we're gonna, just gonna, I'm going to read this testimony to you. It's a really cool testimony. I thought it was cool. And I looked her up, and it's even more cool stuff if you look her up. So um, uh, I hadn't heard of her before. And I was like, ooh, who is this? i got to see more about this. So check her out. She's still alive, um, still has a ministry going on. Um, and, uh, but we're going to see how tongues was a part of her prayer that God used to lead her to do amazing, miraculous things. All right. So Jackie was only five years old. When she first sensed the call of God on her life. I'm going to tell you, my son was the same age. When my son was five years old, he came to us and told us he wanted to be a missionary. And I was like, well, okay. You know, that's nice. So, and then we were just like, all right, you know, then that's a calling of God. We'll see what happens. And lo and behold. <laughs> anyway, as she grew to adulthood, the message became even clearer. Go. Where, Lord? Go, trust me, I will lead you. How would you like that one, <laughs> Abraham? <laughs> Rebuffed and turned down by every missionary organization she contacted. No one wanted a British musician who lacked proper missiological training. She was formally trained, sorry. That's like, jump way ahead. She was formally trained as a musician. That was what her education was in, and that's what she learned. But after this, God, she, God would, you know, it's like, go, you need to go. And you, so she starts applying. God's sending me. God's sending me. And everybody's saying, no, 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 no. You don't have the training. You, you, you can't do this. You're not equipped. And so Jackie sought the advice of her pastor. Well, if you've tried all the conventional ways and missionary societies, and God is still telling you to go, you better get on the move. 
If I were you, I would go out and buy a ticket on a, for a boat going to the longest journey you can find and pray to know where to get off. <laughs> I don't know. I would have the guts to, <laughs> to, to tell somebody to do that as a pastor. <laughs> I would have to be hearing God myself. <laughs> But I would be praying with the person. I mean, if God's telling you to go, God's telling you to go. Anyway, she did. Jackie Pollinger quite literally took a slow boat to China and for the past 47 years has been ministering in Hong Kong. The infamous walled city. This was back in the 60s. Um, uh, There was a walled city in China that was walled off that the British... uh, uh, weren't ruling the chinese weren't ruling. it was literally run by the triads they were they were running what was going on there jackie set up shop she sat on only uh, on only six and one half acres of land but was home to upwards of fifty thousand people in this place it was quite literally a world unto itself with neither china nor great britain exercising proper jurisdiction uh, there was It was a haven for thieves, murderers, extortionists, drug lords, pornographers, illegal immigrants and refugees, homeless, runaways, pimps, prostitutes, many of whom were 12 and 13-year-old girls, sold into the trade by neighbors, boyfriends, and even parents. Pornographic theaters, as well as opium and heroin dens, lined the narrow walkways and alleys. The triads ruled the city, Chinese secret societies that had denigrated into ruthless criminal gangs. Go. Where, Lord? I'll tell you where. (laughs) Wow. The filth was beyond belief. Yes. Uh, This was in uh, 66, I think. Uh, It's not in the book. I looked it up, and I think it was 1966. But fact check me on that. It was in the 60s. The filth was beyond belief. Open sewers, human refuse flowing freely in the streets, rats that no longer reacted to the shrill screams of frightened visitors, bodies of addicts who overdosed the night uh, before were piled outside the city. Into this nightmare walked a 20-year-old girl from England who had no money, no job, and couldn't speak a word of Chinese. Now, you need to know God said go. But she managed to learn enough to tell the heroin addicts about Jesus. Jackie first heard about the gift of tongues from a Chinese couple. Not long after she began fervently praying in tongues during her devotional times, Jackie began to see an increase in conversions and healing miracles. What's the primary purpose? Prayer. But the most amazing thing was how God used this gift in helping heroin addicts during withdrawal. How many people are familiar with how, for lack of a better term, how hellish heroin withdrawal is? Um, Perhaps the greatest obstacle to deliverance from drugs is the indescribable and unbearable pain of withdrawal. The agony of going cold turkey has driven the vast majority of addicts back to the habit. But Jackie made a startling discovery. It was her custom for her new converts to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to receive a prayer language. They always did. But then she observed that when the pain of withdrawal would begin, it would just as quickly end if the individual would begin 
praying in tongues. It took a while to convince a few of the converts, but the horrors of withdrawal made them desperate. As Jackie and others would pray for them in tongues, they too would cry out to God in their new language. Miraculously and virtually without exception, each one of them came off drugs without the wrenching pain associated with this experience. Most of these addicts had been on heroin or opium for years and had quite literally run out of space on their bodies in which to inject themselves with the drugs. Their lives were controlled by their addiction, and few would hesitate to steal or even kill to support their habit. Many had sold friends and family members into prostitution to keep the flow of drugs coming. Yet, when they converted to faith in, faith in Jesus and prayed in tongues, the power of addiction was defeated. How cool is that? The primary purpose is prayer. Spiritual warfare. Here, here she is right here. This, I, not, this wasn't in the book. I pulled this off in my research and put it up here. God, and this, this is a quote from her. God wants us to have soft hearts and hard feet. The trouble with so many of us is that we have hard hearts and soft feet. Like, wow. That's one who speaks from experience. <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. I was just thinking, like, you know, there's a sermon right there. But anyway. <laughs> so what's another purpose? And this goes right along with what we just heard. Self-edification. Building oneself up in the Lord. Where do we see this? 1 Corinthians 14.4. The one who speaks in a tongue, what? Builds up himself. And the one who prophesies builds up the church. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Jude says. So here's Jude saying the same thing. Build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Another purpose, blessing and thanking God and his works. Blessing his works. Blessing God, blessing his works, thanking God, thanking him for his works. This is one of the purposes. Um, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. Catch this. Catch what he says here. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will also sing praise with my mind. It is quite appropriate as God... Uh, um, um, gives the, the gift of tongues to just begin to sing and praise and worship. Man, I, I've been I've been a part of, of of people worshiping in the spirit. This is absolutely incredibly, amazingly beautiful. I mean, you, you literally just sense the Holy Spirit in the place. It's incredible. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, so once again, praying. Singing, praising, giving thanks. All these things he's saying are purposes of, of uh, tongues. How can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you were saying? Clearly making it, he doesn't know what you're saying. You don't know what you're saying, but you know what you're doing. And Jack Hayford pointed this out. There comes a time when those who press into the heart of God in worship Reach a place of acknowledged limitation. What he's saying is like when you, when you are pressing in for the heart of God, you're pressing in, you're pressing in, you literally can come to a place where you find yourself limited by language. You want to press in more than you can actually express is what he's saying here. 
He's saying we simply must break through the restrictions of earthly speech and song if we are to express our heart's deepest desires and passions. Singing in the Spirit serves this end and enables us to consummate our praise in a way that little else can. I mean, when you are literally just, you've turned your mind off and you've allowed the Holy Spirit to begin to manifest the Spirit through you in direct worship with God. When I say turned it off, that doesn't mean your mind's not engaged. That doesn't mean you don't, uh, okay? What I'm saying is it's, uh, it's not through your mind that it happens is what I mean by that. So another purpose. What's another purpose? You're compensating for our weaknesses and ignorance in prayer. Anybody ever feel like, I, I, just, I don't know how to pray for this? We've got situations in my own life right now. Family members. I don't know how to pray for this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Romans eight twenty six and 27. Here's the next verse. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. How? According to the will of God. What's one of the ways that we know our prayers are heard? We pray according to the will of God. Oh, am I went too far? Or did I not go far enough? There we go. Sorry. Thank you. The Spirit intercedes according to the will of God. But that's weird, Lord. I don't want that. Getting ahead of myself. For example, we can pray in tongues when our minds wander and we struggle to focus or concentrate. Anybody ever been in prayer and you're just like wandering and focusing their heart? Well, that would be a great time to just allow the Holy Spirit to begin to pray through you to help you refocus and reconcentrate. Hmm. Or when we are physically tired and weary. Anybody ever tried to pray when they're tired and weary? Peter, James, and John there with Jesus. Wouldn't it have been nice for them to just start praying in the Spirit at that moment? Or when people distract us and there's noise around us. When we think we've run out of things to pray for, what's left? Or when things to pray for are not readily coming to mind, we can pray in the Spirit. When we don't know someone's pain or problem, when we feel inadequate to intercede for them, we may pray in tongues, confident that the Holy Spirit will articulate through us to the Father precisely their most urgent needs. And help us bring to mind what to pray with our minds. It's not an either or. It's not a substitute for. It's a both and. It's the fullness of the gift of God. Thus tongues forever eliminate the excuse for not praying. But I don't know what to say. <laughs> how many people have said that? I don't know. I can't pray. I don't know what to say. Huh. Well, how about asking for the gift of tongues? So that when you're praying, you don't have to worry about what to say. You can just start praying. And then allow God to give you something to say. Hmm. All right. So this is this was an interesting one, and uh, I hadn't really heard this before. But apparently, uh, and I left it in. We're only going to touch on it briefly. The, there's a lot of people ask the question: Why is it they've heard people speak in tongues? Why is it often that like, it sounds so rapid? Why are they talking so fast? Like, what is that all about? It always sounds the same. Does this sound like babble? So 
The answer is, Scripture doesn't say why. <laughs> so we're not going to give a scriptural answer. There's a lot of possibilities, and they make sense. So I'm going to throw some possibilities out there. But what I'm, going to, I'm not going to say, here's a verse and chapter as to why it sounds the way it sounds. Okay? Um, it could be that we're encountering a higher level of energy when we're interacting directly with and through the Holy Spirit. Now, that I can bear witness to. When, when I have felt, sensed the Holy Spirit on me in a ministry uh, setting, the energy level is increased. In fact, interestingly enough, after those moments, sometimes you are down like this because it was such an expenditure of energy. Hmm. All right. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Um, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So this is the, the Holy Spirit is doing this. There's a higher level of energy. There's something else going on. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing with my spirit. I will sing with my mind also. All right. What's another possibility? It could be that there is no hesitation in prayer because it literally bypasses our mind, and the Holy Spirit is the one who's art- articulating. So you know, a lot of times when I'm praying, I'm focused in, when I'm praying with my mind, I'm, I'm focused intently trying to listen as to what to pray. And it takes – there's time in between what I say and, uh, and, um, and it coming out. Why? Because I'm so intently focused. But if I'm praying in tongues, the Holy Spirit speaking – the Holy Spirit doesn't have to wonder what's in the mind of God. <laughs> it just starts giving you what's in the mind of God. It starts coming out. There is no wonder or cont- – man, well – there is no wonder or contemplating what to pray. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is here right now. He is present here right now. There is no wonder or contemplating what to pray. Could be the fact that tongue speech is uniquely not characterized by our normal fear or conscious way of speaking. How many of us are very cautious thinking about our words, especially if we're in public, and we're going to be very careful about what we say and how it's going to come out and how we're going to present it, and uh, especially if we're not, uh, re- don't speak in public regularly. And so there's a, a, a slower cadence that comes. Well, I mean, again, there's no need for that in that uh, 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 when the Spirit is speaking to you through you. Could be that there is simply no need to wait of, uh, to think of something. So there's a lot of lot of possibilities, Joe. <laughs> I love that. I love I'm going to throw that in here. That's going to be one of my <laughs> you, I I am I am guilty of that. I will I I have a hard time listening to any YouTube at less than 1.25 at the minimum cuz some people speak a little bit faster. There are one or two people I have to listen to at 1.0, but most everybody, man, I got to put them on 1.25 or 1.5 cuz I'm like I can hear way faster than they're talking. <laughs> There's another good one. How often when you hear somebody speaking another language, you go, wow, what did slow down? I've actually said that many times. I speak a, li- a little bit of Spanish. And one of the things I learned how to say is, please speak slower. Más despacio, por favor. Más despacio. Yeah. Um, all right. So these are great, great things. I mean, and, and so we experience this in the natural. Why would we not expect to experience it in the supernatural? All right. So why are people so afraid of this? And we're going to look at a few of the things. We've talked about some of them already, but I want to revisit them um, because it's good to revisit them. Some are fearful of an artificial or less than fully genuine experience. 
And I'm just hitting highlights here. There's a lot more in the book because we've already talked about this. But some are like, well, I don't want something fake. I don't want something that's, you know, I, want, I just want what's real. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. But if I'm sitting here at the point of saying, well, I don't want anything fake, and I'm allowing fear to operate instead of faith, I'm literally holding, holding myself, my fear, in the way of allowing the Holy Spirit to move. You see, faith and fear are polar opposites. Fear is the very way to, to stop the Holy Spirit from moving. So if your trust is in the Holy Spirit, trust the Holy Spirit. He will lead you. And then remember, because we spent a lot of time, not only in this, but we talked about with prophecy as well. Look, um, might you make a mistake? Yeah, you might make a mistake. That's why you bring it back to the Word of God. You judge it according to the Word of God. You do it with others who can help you judge it according to the Word of God. And you do it with humility. Okay? So uh, I'm going to use this analogy again. All right? Um, Is the Word of God perfect? Is it the inerrant? Uh, infallible, inspired word of God. Everybody agree? Amen. So, are teachers of the word of God inerrant, infallible, inspired teachers of the word of God? No. Do we say, therefore, no teaching in the body of Christ? They might not tell us exactly what it means. No, we don't do that. We don't forbid teaching because humans might get in the way of the perfect word of God. Why do we want to forbid the Holy Spirit moving in, in, in his giftings because humans might get in the way of that? In fact, we encourage people to teach. We train them to teach. We say, try it some more. Try, share it with 101. Do a little bit more. Take, it, take a class on how to do it. And we have whole schools on it. Oh, but not with this. Does that make any sense? We must be passionate to seek what is genuine and real. Amen. And we must be fearful, fierce, fiercely vigilant not to allow fear and doubt to steal from us what is genuine and real. By saying, I only want what is real and therefore allowing fear to keep me from something the Holy Spirit uh, wants to put in the way, I've actually just stopped what is genuine and real. By claiming I want what is genuine and real, and therefore I'm not interested because it might not be genuine and real, I've just stopped what is actually genuine and real. I have not made a path for it. You see, we need both the passion for it and the fierce vigilant to walk in faith. And how do you do that? It's called humility. It's called willing to be wrong so that God can correct me. All right, the scriptures themselves are the evidence of this. Now, how can you say the scriptures are the evidence of this? We have the letter of 1 Corinthians. Why? Because the Corinthians were not doing it right. Who gave? Now, were they still manifesting the Spirit? They were absolutely manifesting the Spirit. Paul never says they weren't manifesting the Spirit. He just says you weren't doing it with order. Now, did it, if, if, Uh, If we're supposed to have everything in proper order first, why would the Holy Spirit give them the gift before they knew how to do it with perfect order? Do we know better than God? 
And we say, oh, everything perfect order. No, 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 we can't do that. It's not perfect order. Look, I'm not standing against perfect I'm not standing against order in any way. I believe in order, absolutely. But my goodness, you you don't the boat has to be moving in order to steer it. Until the boat's moving, you can't steer it. But we sit and dock going, well, you know, we don't have the perfect you know, the winds and the waves, you know, we're waiting. Get the boat out there. And then figure out there's a rudder on it. Some start and feel the experience was not sufficiently supernatural, thus not real and not worth the effort. And there's a whole testimony. I'm not sharing. He had a testimony in the book. You can go check it out. You know, uh, uh, um, that, well, you know, I, I experienced that, but it just, it just, it just, it didn't feel supernatural. Well, there's a big problem right there. The problem is, is you're seeking a feeling. Rather than obedience. I find that really interesting because on the one side they say, well, let's, because people are just expressing feelings. And then people say, well, I'm not doing it because it didn't feel right. <laughs> yeah, interesting. It seems irrational, incoherent, or gibberish to some. Thus they conclude it is trite, repetitious, and of no value. Well, it is irrational incoherent and gibberish to some if you don't understand it that's why paul says there's a way and an order to do this (laughs) you don't go into a crowd of unbelievers and start doing this because they're not going to understand it that doesn't make sense he doesn't stop it he teaches you how to do it that makes sense some are just afraid of sounding silly and foolish thus their fear keeps them from what god has for them once again Faith and fear are polar opposites. That's just goofy, God. I don't want that. Ooh. I know people that have that, and they're weird. Well, so now God wants to touch the judgment along with the fear. <laughs> True story. True story. You know, I think you know the story I'm about to tell. Um, and uh, this I heard directly from the person that this happened to. Uh, she came from a denomination which... Um, was a cessationist uh, denomination, and they were going to this prayer meeting at a church where uh, that was not. They were continuationists. They they believed in the gifts of spirit, and so they she's with this group, and they show up and the um, at this church, and they are outside of the church, marching around the church like Jericho, praising God and and worshiping. And she's and she as she's walking up to them to to see them, she's going, they just look so silly. That is just so silly. And um, and she just it just was in her heart. So they go through what they're doing, and about two weeks later, she wakes up and she has this horrible pain in her neck. I mean, incredible pain in her neck, and it's really stiff. She cannot move her head at all. And so she's going to the doctors, and they're 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 trying all kinds of things. Finally, they literally put this external fixator on her head, so she's like this and can't move. And uh, um, and she's walking around with this external fixator on her head. And one morning, she's she's looking in the mirror, um, and 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 she looks at herself, and she's having this conversation with the Lord. She goes, "That looks so silly." And, it's just, and the Lord speaks to her, "Yeah, because you called them silly, you've demonstrated you're stiff-necked. That's what's really silly. 
soon as she repented, her neck freed up and she could move her neck. <laughs> if you knew her, that might have actually happened. <laughs> She's an amazing, amazing woman of God. I've seen her do some incredible things in the name of the Lord. Part of it is, you know, admitting this in front of people. So, all right. Advice for those who don't speak in tongues. What do we got? Oh, come on. Where am I? Where am I? We might not finish tonight. So, all right. But anyway, this is good. Advice for those who might not speak in tongues um, uh, or who do not speak in tongues. Number one, you don't have to be afraid. All right. And I'm just going to kind of hit these pretty quick. Um, you don't have to be afraid. There's There's nothing to be afraid of. Um, uh, I'm quoting here from the text. Recently converted men and women whose background was characterized by pagan and demonic rituals filled the church at Corinth. That's what they came out of. They came out of all kinds of craziness. Uh, it was to these very people that Paul said, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. He's the one. These are the ones he said. Nowhere does Paul say or suggest, I want you all to be afraid of tongues. <laughs> Don't be afraid of it. They came out of the stuff that we're saying, well, we don't want to look pagan and demonic and all that other stuff. And Paul, yeah, and Paul's telling the ones who came out of that, I don't want you to be afraid of it. I want you to speak more. I want you to do it more. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, instead, this is in Luke, instead, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Hmm. So, number two, you will not lose control. This is another one. The purpose of tongues is not to overwhelm or humiliate you, but to bless God, to bless others, to edify your own soul. We've just gone over all the scriptures of that. Remember, there is no safer place than to be under the control of the Spirit of God. There isn't a safer place. Exactly. Who are you trusting? Who are you trusting? Number three, you don't have to go off and join a charismatic church. You don't have to go, all of a sudden, I'm speaking in tongues. Now I gotta, no, just, here's the point. You don't have to change the church. You have to change your prayer life. That's the point. You don't have to go off and like somebody's, now I've got to go find the, you know, where everybody's doing weird things I don't like. No. Change your prayer life. What will God do through you? You don't have to put your brain on ice. Praying and singing in tongues is no way incompatible with a love for the written word of God and the deep things of theology. What did Paul say? I'm glad that I speak in tongues more than you all. There was not a greater theologian. There was a more brilliant man of understanding the scriptures, understanding the deep things of God, love the word of God. In fact, actually wrote some of it. 
You don't have to prime the pump. This is another one. You don't have to prime the pump. Um, there are people who will tell you, well, you know, if you're not speaking in tongues, just prime the pump. Just kind of just start saying stuff, and the Holy Spirit will catch up with you. You don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. I mean, I understand why people teach that and why people try to do it. You don't. You just need to wait on the Lord and speak forth words that he brings to your mind. No matter how incoherent or silly they may sound, there are sweet music to the Father's ear. You, it, it's, a, it's a matter of coming before his presence and just trusting him. I remember for me, there was months um, that I would, I would pray and say, Lord, I desire to be fully filled with your spirit. I prayed over and over again. I had different people laying hands on me and different people praying for me. It wasn't until I was all alone. By myself. Somebody gave me a book. It's called The Holy Spirit in You by um, Bennett was his last name. Um, husband and wife team. Um, um, uh, Bennett is the last name. Anyway, I was late at night reading this book, and I knew while I'm reading the book, oh, something's about to happen. I knew in my spirit something was about to happen. Shared a bedroom with my brother, and I literally got up out of the bedroom and went to the family room because I knew something was going to happen. And I and, um, I just started praying, and as I started praying, just wave after wave of the Holy Spirit just started pouring on me. I was I, it's hard to express the level of joy that I experienced in that moment. The speaking the tongues was the the, the least of the moment. <laughs> The, the the experiencing the presence and the filling of the Holy Spirit and the joy that I had and it just the laughter that willed up in my soul. Some people laugh, some people cry, some people just it's very um, phlegmatic experience for them. It's not it's not about an emotional experience. It's about seeking God and be earnestly desiring. Persevere in prayer. Persevere in prayer. When Paul exhorted us to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, he intended us to ask God for what is our heart's desire. Don't be ashamed of wanting this gift. Don't be discouraged if the answer isn't coming quickly. You know, the point, the, the point is this. To me, it's earnestly desire the gift, but seek God. We're not seeking the gift. We're seeking God. We're earnestly desiring everything he wants to give us. Do you see the difference? Your trust is in God, not in your earnestness or your desire. I trust you, Lord, that you will pour out and manifest everything in me that you desire to manifest in me. I am earnestly desiring the gifts. Fill me up. You have given these in your word for, for me to know, to experience you, for the common good of the body of Christ, for the edification of my soul. I know that you desire that. And what I hunger for is you, to glorify your name. You hunt, when, do I see the difference? Devote yourself to extended periods of praise. This is, there's, there's multiple different spiritual disciplines. I'm sorry. Uh, there's multiple different spiritual disciplines. Um, and one of the categories of spiritual disciplines are what we call affective disciplines. Affective disciplines are those in which we, um, uh, our emotions are engaged in a disciplined fashion in uh, our um, and our discipleship. Dwight says, bring a sacrifice of praise. It's not to bring a feeling of praise. We can practice praise. We can practice thanksgiving. We can, we can, and so, so do that. And it's through these things that the Holy Spirit will minister. Um, all right. So now we want to touch on the interpretation of tongues. And again, I'll just kind of go through this pretty quickly. Um, 
actually, hang on, let me see something. You know what? I'm going to stop right here because we're getting getting kind of late, and I want to have some time to, to talk and to pray. And this would be a good place to stop. We can pick. This is a good kind of a stopping point. We can get into next week to doing this and maybe jump into Chapter 10. So I'm going to stop the teaching part right now so that we can have some conversation and we can pray for one another. Um, so I'll pray right now to close out those that are listening in. Um, we'll close that off, and as soon as that's closed off, we can have some conversation here. Excuse me. Father, we bless you. We bless you. I pray that as we've opened your word together, it would create a hunger in our hearts. Cause us to hunger as a deer longs, pants for the river brooks. May our souls long for you. May we may we hunger and thirst. May may our sharing your word cause us to desire you in ways perhaps we haven't done in in a long time. May May we want all that you want for us. I pray that this evening. I thank you for each one. I pray if we if we still have questions, we would bring them up. We would we would chase after because you have answers. But, Lord, I pray that we would not allow our fears and our doubts to get in the way of what you want to do. Build us up. Stir us up in our most holy faith to love and good works. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right. So let me have Sally's going to close us out back there. And as soon as we're closed off, we can can chat a bit and, and pray a bit.